Well, it's my joy to be here always. We look forward to this every year to be able to come up here and uh, to visit you. We feel like you're our church from a distance, but uh, you're always in our thoughts and prayers. In light of the time we live in today, um, the difficult times that we're living in, I thought it would be a good time to encourage you this morning on how we can have some victory in worry and anxiety. I, um, at Grace Community Church, I take a lot of phone calls. Uh, it's one of, one of my positions at the church is they, they send a lot of these serious phone calls to me every day. And we, get, we have had hundreds of calls of people that are struggling with worry and anxiety. They can't sleep. Uh, some of them have, have um, not been able to go to work because they're so weighed down with their worry and anxiety. And many are depressed. So we do live in difficult times. Statistics say that there's a, possibly a 30 to 40% increase in depression in the last couple of years. People um, increase in the fact that people can't sleep. Many people are getting sleepy. This, the business of sleeping pills has grown a lot in our society because people can't sleep. But it's not only in older people, but it's in younger people that are struggling with this. And uh, we know that worry is something that we all deal with. We all deal with as, as even as Christians. Worry is a common temptation in our lives. Some, it's, a, it's their favorite pastime to worry. It can occupy our thoughts all day long. Uh, it can inflict us, inflict us in many, many ways. It can have a tremendous psychological and physical effect on us. Um, Jesus makes it clear in scriptures that we're not to worry. And worry and anxiety are a blatant, blatant distrust in the power and love of God. Inter interesting, worry comes from the old English word worgen, which means to choke or strangle. Worry can strangle the mind in our thinking and our emotions. And uh, much, and during Christ's time, there was also people, there were also people that were worried. In his time, they were worried about what they were going to eat and what they were going to drink and what they were going to wear. The basic essentials of life. And what's interesting, I think that we are worrying about those things even today. It's interesting where you can go to the markets today and we see empty shelves. And we can't, sometimes we're not able to buy the things that we used to buy. Um, my wife and I like to go to an outlet down when we go down to San Diego. And last year we went through to the, go to this outlet and half the, the, the uh, businesses were out, were gone. They'd closed down. So we see the effects in our society of, of things that we normally would get to. It's interesting, our church is having our air conditioning replaced in our worship center. And we ordered the uh, equipment that we needed the, about a month and a half ago, and we don't know where it is. We don't know if it's off the coast on some ship, but we can't get our air conditioning unit to fix our air conditioning in our worship center. So we are living in interesting times. Interesting times. The scriptures make it clear that Jesus wants us to be preoccupied with him. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. This is where our focus needs to be. And we're going to be talking a lot about that this morning. But we do live in times of worries where people are even stockpiling today. Stockpiling because they're concerned about the future. And we see more and more of that going on today. There's nothing wrong with planning for the future. That's wise. God wants us to be wise planners and to have safeguards. But when it gets to become more than, when it become, replaces your trust in the Lord, that's when there's a problem when we're putting our trust in our stockpiling of things rather than putting our trust in God. 
Philippians 4.19 says God will supply all our needs according to his riches. And we need to trust him for that. Well, we're going to be in Matthew 6. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6. What we're going to do, we're going to spend some time in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And then we're going to go to finish up with Philippians 4, verses 5 to 9, to go over some principles that could help us not to worry. But first, we're going to go through Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Let me read this section of the Bible. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink nor for your body is what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not soar nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more worthy than them? And of you who being worried can, and, and, uh, who of you of being worried can handle a single hour to their life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they not spin. Yet I say to you, even not Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will, how, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry about when they do not worry then saying, what will we eat, or what will you drink, or what will you wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and for your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, let's look at verse 25. Jesus is talking about worry. Let's hear what Christ has to say about worry in verse 25. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, not for your body as to what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Interesting, the tense Greek word here for, is stop worrying, is what he's saying here. Stop worrying. And he says, and don't, and don't start worrying. He says, if you're worrying, quit. Interesting, the Greek word for life here also in this verse is suke. This has to do with the fullness of our earthly, our physical, and our eternal life. This is focusing on earthly treasures, earthly affections, and what happens is this tends to blind our spiritual vision and can pull us away from the Lord if we get fixated too much on that. We can get caught up in, in the mundane things of life. It's interesting. We look at, go back a few verses to, to verse 19 here of Matthew 6. Verse 19. He says, Do not store up for you treasures on earth where moth and rust and dest- will destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there's where your heart is also. This is where we need to be fixated. Now, it's interesting that God is a faithful God and we're going to see this through a lot of these passages that we look at. And we'll see how And we also understand that worthy is unnecessary because of our great God, too. Worthy is unnecessary because of our great God. But there's some points we're going to go through. We're going to go through six things, six points that we can learn from, six six character traits that God wants us to have, six attitudes, maybe, that we need to have about our lives when it comes to worry and anxiety, especially the difficult times that we live. Number one, 
is God always takes care of his creatures, number one. We'll see that in Matthew 6, 26. God is faithful to take care of his, his creatures. For He says here, look at the birds in the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more worthy than they? It's interesting that Jesus uses the illustration as birds. You can imagine the Lord was maybe standing on a hillside in Galilee when he was writing this or thinking this. And he saw a flock of birds flying over his head. But it's interesting he used birds. Now birds don't get together. They don't come together and get, come up with a strategy how they're going to feed themselves. They have no self-consciousness or ability to reason. But God has planned within them the instinct of a design capacity to find what is necessary to live on. God doesn't just create life though. He also sustains life. And he sustains the lives of creatures that he's created. In Psalm 147.9, it tells how the birds cry out for their food. Um, but Jesus tells us that they, they, don't, that they don't reap or gather or supply into barns because their heavenly Father provides for them. Now, this is not an excuse for idleness. You're not going to see a bird standing on a limb of a tree with his mouth open just expecting the food to fly into his mouth. God feeds the birds through the instinct that tells them where to find their food. They work hard for it. They're always busy searching and gobbling up little insects, preparing their nests, caring for their young, teaching them to fly, pushing them out of the nest at the right time, migrating with, with the seasons. They work within the framework of God's design, and they never indulge themselves. Birds never worry, though, whether they're going to get their food. And God is always faithful to care for them. Now, if the birds don't worry, why do we worry? That's the question. Let's look at Matthew 10, 19 to 30, 19 to 31, uh, 29 to 31. Or Matthew 10, 29 to 31. It says here, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many of the sparrows. Now, no bird was created in the image of God. No bird was designed to be a joint heir with, with Jesus Christ. But if God sustains the life of a bird, he will take care of us. He will take care of us. And it's important to know that, that the birds did work for their food. And as we know in Scripture, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says that if we don't work, we don't eat. So God has given us that command that we are to work if we want to eat. That is our responsibility. So again, number one, God takes care of his, his creatures. Number two, worry does not accomplish anything. There's nothing productive that worry accomplishes. And let's look at verse 27 of Matthew 6. He says, of who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life? Can add a single hour to his life? Not only will, will worry not lengthen your life, but it'll probably shorten your life. Charles Mayo, the co-founder of the Mayo Clinic, made the observation that worry adversely affects the circulatory system. It affects the hearts, the glands, the entire nervous system. In his medical journal, American Mercury, Mayo said that he never knew of anyone who died of overwork, but he knew many who have died of worry. We can worry ourselves to death, but, we will never worry, but worry will never cause us to live a longer life. 
You know, we live in a today, today where people have panic attacks. We hear this term, panic attacks. So we see how worry can affect us in, in dramatic ways. We also live in a society that people will do anything that's to try to make their lives longer. Spend a lot of money to live longer. Vitamins, exercise, nothing wrong with this in, in itself, but... We live, we live in a time where people will spend a fortune on hope ca causing their lives to maybe live an extra week, an extra month, maybe even an extra year. My, my dad worked with Bob Hope. Maybe you may not know who Bob Hope is. If you're not as old as me, you might not know who he is. But, um, but he had a lot of money. He made a lot of money in investing. Uh, he lived to be 100, almost 100. He almost made it to 100 years of age. But he spent millions, thousands of millions of dollars on Special, thing, uh, special things, he used um, blood injections, and he did a lot of things to try to keep himself to live longer. There was also a rumor that he was going to have his body frozen when he died, and someday he was hoping there was going to be some amazing miracle, uh, a life-gaining miracle that was going to come out in this world where people could live to be maybe 150, 200. But he, put, he spent a lot of money hoping that he could come back alive someday. So he could live longer here on earth. And that's where the focus of the world is. John, Job 14.5 says that man's days are numbered though. Our days are numbered by God. In fact, Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for a man to die. And God knows that time when we're going to die. There is a point in time where, where we will die. Again, uh, there's nothing wrong with exercise and taking care of our bodies. I think the Lord, that's our temple our bodies. We do need to take care of ourselves. But to be worrying about that doesn't do anything. It doesn't add anything to our lives. And if we really want to experience the fullest of our lives is to live a life that's honoring to God. That's where the joy in our lives will come. That's where God will give us the fullness of our days when we have that close relationship with Him. We can experience the fullness when you live for the glory of God. And no matter how long or short your life is, you can have a full life of loving and serving him. All right, number three here, as we go through Matthew 6. God's creation should bring us splendor and joy. We have a God that's, his creation is amazing. It's easy to take for granted his creation. If we were to go outside today and just spend the afternoon looking at his creation, just really slowing down and looking at all the beautiful things he creates, it is amazing. And in this section, this is what it's talking about, how God's creation, we should really be putting that above everything and not so much worried about our temporal things here on earth. Let's look at these verses in 28 to 30 here in Matthew 6. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, even not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, well, will he not much more clothe you? This is talking about the beautiful creations of flowers on the hillside, but we'll talk about that in a second. But again, for some people, though, they get their joy out of material things, right? There was an article recently about some lady that has a thousand shoes in her closet. I go, first of all, where does she find the room to put a thousand shoes in her closet? But people, we get caught up, right, in material things. We spend a lot of money on things for our bodies, out outwardly, clothing, things that make us look good. 
And yet all, all that stuff is getting, going to burn. But what's, so, what's really important here is the fact of, of Christ's creation. How amazing his creation is. And we look at the hillsides here. It's talking about here, when it, we look at this verse, about the lilies of the field that grow. This is a gentle term for wildflowers that, are, that grace the rolling hills of Galilee. They're, if I can pronounce these right, anemones, gladiolus, narcissus, and poppies that we see on the hillsides. They do not toil, nor do they spin. But sometimes we don't appreciate what God has created. We appreciate more the things of this world, the things that we wear. We lust, lust after clothing. Um, we spend much time spending money on draping things over our bodies. And it's interesting, 1 Peter 3, 3 to 4. If you turn to 1 Peter 3, 3 to 4. This is talking about a woman, this could, but this also could be really referring to men in some ways too. 1 Peter 3, 3 to 4. It's talking about a woman's adornment here. It says, your adornment must not be, be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold, fine gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. And I think what we're really saying here is that we get so concerned about our outward appearance again. God's concerned about our hearts. Our hearts. That he wants us to have a, a heart that loves him and wants to serve him. But again, we see again, God's creation is amazing. And a fancy garment cannot compare with a beautiful flower. If you've ever taken a good look at a flower and can see the texture, the form and design of the flower, it's amazing. And there's nothing that man can do to duplicate that. Nothing. So what's the point here we're saying here? Well, let's look at verse 30 again. Let's back to Matthew 6 to see the point we're getting at here. It says here, but if the clothes, God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is still in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? God who blesses us with his beauty will also provide the necessary clothing we need with his amazing beauty that he blesses us with. There was one time a short poem that goes like this. The wildflower was talking to the sparrow and he said, I should really like to know why these ancient human beings are being rushed and about worrying about so many things. Well, the sparrow said to the wildflower, well, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. I think some people don't acknowledge that there's a heavenly father. Don't acknowledge that there's a God who cares for us. All right, number four as we work through Matthew 6 here, is worry is not a great testimony of our faith. In fact, worry is a real, is a real uh, gauge of where our faith is with God. Let's look at these two verses here. We're going to look at the end of verse 30 and then 31 and 32. The end of verse 30, he says, Oh, you little faith. He's confronting these people that are worrying about things of the world and how, what they wear. Then he says in verse 31, Do not worry about what, you're, what you say, what you eat, or what you will drink. Or what we will wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. It's interesting here. The Christians worry. And it really, really comes down to their faith and trust in God. And it's interesting because Christians believe that God saved us. That he's destroyed Satan. They believe that he has, he's created everything. That he's an awesome God. 
Yet they question whether he can help them to get through the next couple of days. We can believe God for his gifts, but we stumble and not believe that he, him for the lesser things, the practical things in our lives. And at the end of the day, this is a strike against God. Worry is a strike against God. And something's interesting. Some people will say, oh, worry's not a big thing. It's just a trivial thing. No. But no, it's not. Worry is a very serious problem. And worry will cause, cause mental illness and physical illness if we don't address it. Worry can be devastating. But more important is that worry has an effect on a relationship with God. When we worry, we're saying, effect, God, I just don't trust you. I don't think you can come through for me. It strikes at the blow and the person and character of God. Also, worry or disbelief scripture. We may believe the inerrancy of scripture, but we also struggle, though. On one side of our mouth, we might be believing God, and the other side of the mouth, we might be questioning God. A double-minded person. Also, worry tends to be mastered by their circumstances. When we worry, we're choosing to be mastered by our circumstances instead of the trust of God and his truth. Jesus wants us to realize it doesn't make sense to believe him that he can save us from eternal life, but not believe that he can help us with practical matters of life. Let's turn to Ephesians 1, 18 to 19. Ephesians 1, 18 to 19. Paul's talking here. Talking about the blessings of redemption here. But in verse 18 and 19, he says here, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory and of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? We need to really grasp the riches that God has given us of his glory. The inheritance he's given to us. Someday we're going to go to a place called heaven. We're going to go to a place where there. There's, it's, it's undefiled. It'll, it'll never fade away. We're going to get a new glorified body. We're going to be in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are great blessings that we tend to lose sight of when we get our focus on the, the main, mundane things of this world. And then he says that God, the power that God has given us from his, through his Holy Spirit is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We lose sight of that sometimes. That he, he gives us his power through his Holy Spirit. And then lastly here, as we're talking about worry here in this section, is that at the end of the day, worry is a distrust in God, is what it really is, if we were to sum it all up. It's not trusting in our Heavenly Father. That's why we need to make sure that we have our minds in the Word of God as much as we can, we, that we're in the Word, to remind ourselves of God's greatness and His faithfulness and His goodness. Sometimes it's good maybe if we start our morning up just going through God's attributes. Remind ourselves of of how great God is. Because sometimes what we do is we can shrink God down, right? Into a little box. We can shrink him down to a little box. And it's great. It's a good thing to get in his word and get the broader picture and the big picture of God, how awesome he is. All right, we're working on through this. We're number five now as we're going through Matthew 6. Number five, we're going to see here in verse 34, as worry, we should not be worrying about tomorrow. We tend to worry a lot about tomorrow. And let's look at verse 34 here of Matthew 6. He says, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just deal with the problems you have today. There's enough to solve today. Tomorrow will come and we'll deal with that when that comes. And the fact is, God is the God of tomorrow. Just as he's the God of today, he's the God of tomorrow. 
Lamentations 3.23, you don't have to turn there, but it says that God's mercies are new every morning. Every day his mercies are new. We have a chance to experience his mercies every day. Today is a day that we can experience his mercies and grace. And he will give us his mercies and grace to get through this day no matter what our circumstances are. Worry can paralyze us. It can make us upset to accomplish and it takes away from us being productive when we worry, especially when we worry about tomorrow. I have gotten calls from people that are, are worried so much that they had to quit their jobs. They can't get out of bed uh, to even accomplish anything because they're so much worried about the future. And let's face it, we could make a list this big right now of our, what's going on in the world, right? Of the things that we could worry about. I and mean, we have an instability overseas with the war in Ukraine. We have an economy that could collapse. We have a government that we can't trust. We have this, this terrible uh, virus that we've had now for three years. And we, we can go on and on and on. People are losing their jobs. Um, people moving out of this uh, state of California because it's such a difficult place to live. We could definitely build a list of things to worry about today. No doubt about it. Especially about the future. But it will paralyze us to where we can't accomplish anything in our lives. If we take ourselves mentally into tomorrow, we're going to have a difficulty getting anything done today. We must refuse to get on that ride. The Lord says we have enough to deal with today. He says, I will, I will supply your needs for today. And that will take away our joy that we need to have for the Lord too. It will take away our joy. Let's turn to Psalm 118, 24. Psalm 118, 24. You notice I'm taking you all over the Bible here. Forgive me. I have the John MacArthur-itis. Uh, Psalm 118.24 says here, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day he's made. We don't know about tomorrow. But today is the day he's made. And we can rejoice in that. And his mercies can be new every day. Don't let ourselves be pushed to the future. It'll take away our joy. It was once stated, tomorrow always belongs to God. Whenever we try to take hold of it, it will steal what belongs to him. Sinners want to know what there's, what there's going on tomorrow. They will destroy themselves today. Isn't it amazing, too, that people spend a lot of money to find out, to want to know about their future today? I think that these psychics that the people go to, they spend a lot of money to go to these psychics to try to find out what's going to go on in their future in their lives. It can be a real problem. But again, God, God wants us to be really faithful today. And he will give us the strength today of what we need. And he will give us the grace. Hebrews 13.8, you don't have to turn there, but it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow and forever. He doesn't change tomorrow. He's the same God that we, deal, that we have today for tomorrow. All right, so we've seen so far here that God, in, in Matthew 6, God cares for our, his creatures. He's faithful to care for us. Number two, worry doesn't accomplish anything. Number three, God's creation and his splendor is amazing. And it, it really is, uh, it should impact our lives much more than the mundane things in our lives. Worry is a test of where our faith is. And we just talked about that worry about the future has no productive plan in our life. Worrying about the future does no good for us. Number six, 
We need to replace worry with the right focus. We need to replace worry with the right focus. And we see that in Matthew 6, 33. Matthew 6, 33. And this was shared this morning. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. We need to move our thoughts to the divine level to realize, to look at the bigger picture here. Interesting, the word protos here in this verse. First means first in line is the only, is more than one option. This is the first priority in our lives is to seek God's kingdom. Seeking his rule, his righteousness, his peace and joy from the Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's not a good testimony when we say we're a Christian and yet we worry all the time. And yes, we struggle with it. As I said earlier, in, in the times we live today, it is difficult. I know for my wife and I, we've had to sort of not watch the news. It's just too depressing to watch the news. We get some, we'll just get, you can go on uh, certain stations and get the idea of what's going on in the world, but we've had to pull back. Um, God wants to please him first and think about the problem of fear second. This is why when we speak of worry, we have to realize that what the, the antidote for this is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, focus on him. If you put anything else first, even the dire to rid yourself of a terrifying feel, you'll discover you will fail to achieve your goal. God cannot take second place. He must be first. What is our preoccupation? Are we more concerned about the kingdom of, of God or the kingdom of the world? That's the question we need to look at. All right, so I want to go through some six principles, things that we can do in our lives to help us uh, not to worry. We're going to be in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 5 to 9. Let me read Philippians 4. Great, great chapter on worry uh, and anxiety. Philippians 4, 5 to 9. Let me read these, read these verses. He says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any excellence of anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Worry and anxiety can spiral down in our lives and cause depression. When you see someone that's depressed, in most cases, it's because they've been worried and they've been anxious. And depression seems to be the final step there. Wrong thinking can attack us. I'm telling you, we, we have to really guard our minds. We don't want to end up like Elijah who was in a deep pit of despair and depression and found no peace. All right, there's six practical things we, we can really glean from this amazing section of Philippians. First in verse 5 here. The first part of verse 5. We need to learn to be patient and forbearing. Again, let me look at verse 5 here at the beginning. Let, it says here, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. We need to learn to be patient and learn to submit to God. And, and that sometimes is hard to wait on the Lord and be patient. Yes, we live, in a, we live in an unjust society. No question about it. And we can be weighed down with an emotional pain for we see the injustice going on in this world. And we might even carry this injustice on our shoulders. It can really, it can be a heavy weight on us. We want to lash out. 
We want to get, want to make things right. We almost want God to fix things right now, right? We want God fix this world. Would you please fix this world, fix our country? But we need to cast our burdens to the Lord and realize that He's in control here. And learning to be patient with Him is a real test of our faith. And yes, when we're anxious, we tend to tend to focus on the faults in this world and see how people are being mistreated and how the lies that we hear and the, just all the, all the politics that we see that's going in this world right now. And it can really weigh us down. But we need to cast our cares on the Lord, trusting that he will handle the situation in his time, not our time. Again, we want it to be fixed now. We want to fix the evils of the world right now or, and if we try to fix it ourselves, we're going to be a nervous wreck. And that's where we have to learn to wait on the Lord. Let's look at Romans 12. This is a verse that I look at a lot when I start getting frustrated with things that are going on in the world. Romans 12, 19 and following. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning clothes on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We need to trust our judge, the Lord. He is the true judge. We need to learn to be patient and forbearing with our enemies that we see in this world, with the evil that we see in this world. And one of the secrets to victory over fear and worry and anxiety is a supernatural patience of waiting on the Lord and trusting him. I think we're all being tested with that right now. It's, ugly. it's, it's very difficult to, to have to see what's happening in this world and, we, and it's, it can really, really weigh us down. And I'm telling you folks, I get calls on this every day of people that are struggling. And we, we, want, we, can't, we kind of wonder, God, what are you doing? Where are you in this? Are you doing anything about this? We have to trust him that he's in control and he knows what he's doing. We have to wait on him. Number two, this is so important. Never forget the Lord is near. Let's go back to Philippians 5, Philippians 4 rather. In the second half of verse 4, it says the Lord is near. We, we don't want to lose sight that God is near. The evil that oppresses us is difficult to deal with, yes. We know the Lord is, is a righteous judge though. And yes, he is going to come back someday and make things right. He will come back. Our pastor thinks that he could come back any day here and rapture us the way things are going now. He says there's nothing that's really keeping him from returning. So we can rejoice in that. When that may be, it could be tomorrow. It could be 100 years, 1,000 years. We don't know. But we, but we know that he is going to come back. That is assured. And he's going to make things right. Romans 2.16, if you turn to Romans 2.16. He is going to look at the hearts of men and judge their hearts. It says here, on the day when according to the gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Everyone's going to have to stand before God someday and be held accountable for their lives. For all the wickedness, all those wicked, evil people that we see in our world are all going to have to stand before the Lord someday. Jesus Christ is coming soon. But his presence is also near with us right now, though. 
We can experience his presence through the Holy Spirit. His presence is very near. As near to us as our own breath. He is our comforter. He will comfort us. He will give us, his grace is sufficient. He's, he's near to us and will comfort us no matter what we're going through. And we can have a joy in, even in the midst of these difficult times. We can have a joy. And he uses these times for good. Let's turn to James chapter 1. And I'm sure you're familiar with James chapter 1. Talking about the joy that we can have in the midst of circumstances that are difficult. James 1 verse 2. He says, Consider it all joy, brethren, when you are encountered various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Nothing. God uses difficult times in our lives for good. That's where we develop our characters through difficult times. I think if we all were honest with ourselves and looked in the past of our lives, those difficult times that we had, look at all the things that God taught us through those difficult times. How we grew and learned. This is a great time for us to grow in the time that we live in. Knowing that Christ is going to come and make things right in the future. But until then, he is with us through his Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4.15 says that he is acquainted with us and understands our sorrows. He's a sympathetic priest. He understands what we're going through. He is near to us. He understands. Also, if you turn to Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. says here, I will never desert you nor I will ever forsake you. You could say it another way. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is near to us, and we can rejoice in that. Also, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans 8 is a great chapter. I would encourage you to study that chapter. There's so, many, there's so much richness in that chapter. Talking about our victory in Christ. Talking about the fact we can all do, we, uh, God works everything out for good in our lives. But then in verse 37 at the end of the chapter of Romans 8, he wants to really encourage us about the fact that nothing can separate us from God's love. He says in verse 37 here in Romans 8, but in all things we were overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He uses common astronomical terms here to refer to the, the highest point and the lowest points of, uh, in, uh, of star paths. Nothing in our life from beginning to end can separate us from Christ's love. That should be an encouragement to us. Sometimes we, we feel like he's far away from us. And God is, God really, we're talking about his sympathizing us again. This is a side where he sympathizes with our weaknesses. The word sympathize here is the compound form prefix meaning joined with, the, with, with those who suffer. He's a God here who is not detached, who's not separate. His, he has a depth of solidarity to us. He understands and feels our pain that we suffer. He is our friend who in sorrow will never lob down a, a pep talk from heaven, but he, but he will help us to bear through those difficult times. His heart is bound with ours. We can be encouraged by that. That can be encouraging. All right, number three here. 
as we're working our way through Philippians, go back to Philippians here. It says, we should not be anxious. Look at the verse here, verse six. Be anxious for nothing, he says. Be anxious for nothing. Anxious is the verse that means, it, it really means pulling us in the wrong directions or in different directions also. It pulls us in directions of fear and worry. The English root word for worry means to strangle. I think we talked about that a little bit a while ago. Worry can strangle us. It can cause physical consequences, headaches, backaches. It can cause stress, even depression, ulcers. Some think that even possibly cancer may be caused by a lot of stress or diseases can be caused from stress and worry. When we're stressed, we tend to also maybe eat too much. We have our ways. What does the world do when they're stressed? They go out and get drunk or take drugs. We as Christians, we might have our little escapisms too with food, um, keeping busy, um, finding distractions, TV, maybe movies or whatever to kind of release us from worry and fret. But he's saying here, be anxious for nothing. And then he says, Let, what, let's think about all the nothings that we worry about, all the mundane things that we can worry about sometimes. But the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be, we can learn to be anxious for nothing with God's help. Now, it's not wrong to be concerned. It's okay to be concerned about things. We all have our concerns. But when concern turns to worry, that's when there's a problem. That's when there's a problem. So again, we see here in Philippians, as working through here, we need to learn, learn to be patient and forbearing with God. We, never, we want to never forget that God is near and we want to learn not to be anxious. Number four here. We need to be men and women of prayer. And let's go back to Philippians 4 and we're going to look at the second half of verse 6. We need to be men and women of prayer. He says here, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. We need to be men and women. It's hard to, to get prayer. That's one of the things I struggle with the most. I'm running around 100 miles an hour all the time. It's hard to slow down and pray. But we, when we catch ourselves worrying, though, that should be a red warning light to us to check our connection with Christ. Are we connected with him? Are we talking to him? Are we praying with him? Are we walking with him? Because worry can be a sign that we have a lost connection with Christ. Maybe we've taken our eyes off of him. We've gotten focused on our circumstances rather than on him. Let's turn to Matthew 14. Remember the story of the disciples were on the water. And I love Peter. Peter is always uh, very bold about what he says sometimes. Sometimes he says some stupid things. And sometimes he's, he did some stupid things. He, he also uh, rejected Christ at one time. But eventually Peter became a strong man of God. But in this particular section, we'll start with verse 22 of Matthew 14. The disciples are on the boat in the water. It says here in verse 22, Then he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while they sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray when it was evening. And he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves and for the wind that was contrary. A lot of, the, a lot of winds and, and the waves of the sea were really getting really large. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Here's Peter, verse 28. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. Jesus want, Peter wanted to walk on the water. And he walked on the water for a bit as he came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. He took his eyes off Jesus. It began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took the hold of him. And he said to him, you of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got in the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worried, saying, you're certainly God's son. Well, Peter took his eyes off Jesus, and that's what we do at times. We take our eyes off of him. We need to cry out and get right with the Lord and not doubt him. Prayer connects us to Jesus. That's where we really get, that's where our connection can really be with him. We need to be in one with prayer. And he talks about different aspects of prayer as we go back to Philippians 4. He says that the prayer requests we have the supplication. He says prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And those are really the aspects of what we do when we pray. Prayer is a general word for communing with God through adoration, devotion, and worship. And whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first action should be to go to the Lord in prayer. And not forget Him. And we need, we need not only prayer, we also need the Word of God along with our time with prayer. But we have a God who loves, He cares us, and he, has, he loves to hear our prayers. He wants to hear us pray to Him. And we need to worship Him in our prayer time. But what happens is too often we rush in his presence, and hastily talk to him without giving any thought of really, really spending quality time with him and beholding him and regaining our sense of who he is and how he can help us with our weaknesses. It's always great to go, to, go in the Word and read the accounts of, of Jesus, the amazing things that Christ has done in his Word, his crucifixion, his resurrection, how he gave his life for us on the cross, how we will never experience the wrath of God because of what he's done on the cross. The more we can dwell on the price that he's paid for us, the more we can love and trust him. We don't want to forget. That's why we do communion. It's a great reminder of what he's done for us on the cross, how he's been so faithful to us. We don't want to lose sight of that. And then and the part of our prayer is supplication. Supplication is where we have a great opportunity to pour out our hearts to him, like a child to a father, and give him our problems and our struggles. And he's able to hear our prayers. He's able to help us in time of need. Let's look at John 16, 24. Uh, John 16, 24. Talking about praying to him. This is a great section on God, how he wants us to pray to him. John 16, we'll look at verse 23 and 24. He says, In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, I will give it to you. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. It's our joy to go to the Lord and have him answer our prayers. Now, he might not always answer them the way, the way we exactly want him to answer our prayers, but he is faithful to answer our prayers. First Thessalonians 4.17 says that we should pray without ceasing. 
And when we come to the merciful Father, he's not going to give us a stone when we ask for bread. He's not going to give us a, a snake when we ask for meat. He is faithful to give us what's best for us. And we have a great opportunity. And this is what's going to restore our joy of our relationship with him is by coming to him with our burdens, praying for him to heal if it's his will. Listen, God knows when we suffer. He knows when we're distressed. He knows when we are anxious and he cares. Yes, he might not always answer our prayers immediately. That's where we struggle. But remember that we are resolved to be patient with him when we pray to him. And we want to ask him not only that he will answer our prayers, but he also will give us the desires of our heart if that's his will, if that's his will. And then the last mode of prayer as we go back to Philippians here, as we're looking at verse 6, is pray with thanksgiving. Let your thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. We want to learn to be thankful and offer gratitude to the Lord when we pray to him. I think it's a great way to start our day off with the Lord, maybe with a list of things that we can be thankful for. Thank you for another day. Thank you I have a roof over my head. Thank you I have food to eat. Thank you I have my health. Thank you that uh, I, you've given me another day to live for you. There's a lot of great things that we can go to the Lord to and thank him for. And he wants us to have thankful hearts. And by praying to him and, and, and giving him our, our, our problems, our struggles, our desires, it will cause us to be more thankful because he cares for us. He cares for us. John Erickson Tata, those of you maybe know who she is, she broke her neck when she was 17. She's been a quadriplegic now. She's in her 70s. In fact, she's one of the oldest living quadriplegics in the world. But when she was in her 60s, she struggled with cancer. And she prayed for guidance. Here's one of her prayers. She goes, Lord, give me the right words to say. She says, where should I start? She goes, well, I want to start with gratitude. She goes, I know that you're an all-wise, sovereign God. And I know, I know cancer is a difficult illness. She said, but whatever I grieve, receive for you, you are fit. And you will give me the grace and strength that I need to get through this. Then she went on to say, her, talking about her husband, Ken and I are utterly convinced that God is going to use this to stretch our faith and brighten our hope and strengthen our witness to others. Are we able to pray that kind of prayer? To thank God even in a, through a difficult situation? Robert Somerville, who taught at Masters University in the Biblical Counseling Department, struggled with depression. He wrote a book. In fact, I recommend you to get this book. It's, I think it's called, Can a Christian Be Depressed? And it's a great book about sharing his journey through depression. Here's a prayer from him in the book. He says, Lord, I thank you for this depression as we are to thank you in every circumstance and even add it up to the joy when we fall into various trials and have our faith tested. Thank you for the strength you will give me to endure and enable me to glorify you through this depression. It's a great attitude to have through a man that went through a really, really dark time. Thanking God for our trials is a great, great expression of what, where our faith is. And then as we go back to, to this uh, Philippians verse seven here. That's back to Philippians four, verse seven. This is the fruit we see from the, having a right prayer life. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we become men and women of prayer who trust the Lord, even through difficult circumstances, 
there can be a, a peace, an inner tranquility, a freedom from mental agitation and anxiety, a perfect peace to those minds who are stayed on him. There's a great hymn I'm sure you're familiar with called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It goes like this. What a, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What a great, great hymn. God promises peace, a perfect peace for those who keep our focus on him and our men and women of prayer. You know, it's sad that many people seek peace in this world. There is never going to be peace in this world until Christ comes back. And when you can't sleep, when you have those difficult times where you can't sleep, instead of counting sheep, talk to the shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. Sometimes that's a great opportunity to pray when you're not able to sleep. Roll all your concerns over to him. Remember, he actually commands you to cast all your anxieties on him. He wants us to cast our anxieties on him. Turn to 1 Peter 5, 7. Speaking of that, 1 Peter 5, 7. 1 Peter 5, 7. He says here, be, he says, therefore humble yourselves, verse, verse 6 first, under the mighty hand of God, he may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. John MacArthur says here, this is talking about throwing something on something, like throwing a blanket on something that's bad in your life. Christians are cast all their discontent, discouragement, despair on, on the suffering of the Lord. Trust him in knowing that he's doing good in our lives. Doing good. Whatever he does is for our own good. All right, number five. As we're getting through Philippians 4 here, verse 8. Philippians 4, excuse me, 4, verse 8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, there's excellence in anything worthy, dwell on those things. What he's saying is we need to dwell on those things that are right. We need to have our focus on those things that are good, not at the negative. We tend to focus on the negative a lot, don't we? The negative things in our lives. He's talking about the fact that we need to put our minds on the things that are true and right. And that's going to hap happen if we're in the Word of God. Maybe make the list of truths of Scripture to replace those wrong thinking in our lives. When we start having those wrong thoughts, have some Scripture available that we can go to. For example, when we come upon a difficult situation or we're overwhelmed by or are not capable to handle, go to Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we're anxious and depressed and nothing seems to be going right and they don't, things don't look good in our lives, go to Romans 8.28. It says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good that those who love him and walk according to his purpose. When we're depressed or anxious, we think God has left us that we are condemned by him. We need to set our minds on his truth of Romans 1.8 which says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or Hebrews 13.5 I read earlier, I will never desert you or I will never forsake you. Or Hebrews 8.20.37 where I said that nothing will separate us from God's love. When we're, we're having those struggles with our thoughts, the greatest grid to run through is the Bible. And Philippians 4.8 is a great grid to work through. And ask ourselves, what is true here? What am I thinking about? What is really the true, true thing I need to hear right now? And obviously we want the truth that comes from his word and his truths. 
And most of our worries can be eliminated if we would just answer that question rightly. Focusing on those things that are honorable, right, pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. Take control of our thoughts. Because at the end of the day, the enemy works on our thoughts. Those doubts that we have are coming from the enemy. Satan throws those doubts in our hands. I get people that call me that doubt that God loves them anymore. Like, God doesn't love me anymore. I go, where'd you get that from? Well, I don't know. I just, I just don't think he loves me anymore because he's just, my life's a mess. And I said, what does the Bible say? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't read the Bible lately. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> and then also they, they start doubting their salvation. Oh, I don't think I'm a Christian. God, you know, the enemy wants to work on that. Those doubts, the enemy's going to pound away in our brain, especially when we're down and depressed. That's when the enemy really wants to work over, overtime on us. We need to get our focus back to God's truth and his word. Our sanctification process is a great time to depend on God and obey his word and not our feelings. All right, so we've gone through these five points in Philippians. Learn to be patient. Never forget that God is near. Learn not to be anxious. Need to be men and women of a prayer. We need to fix our minds on what is good and right. Lastly, number six. We need to practice these things. Let's go back to Philippians 4, verse 9. These things that we're learning here, we need to practice these things in our lives. We need to do these things. Verse 9 says, These things you have learned and received and heard and seen, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul ends this part of Philippians by saying, you need to be doing these things that I have taught you about Christ. Paul, what a tremendous example we have in Paul. As we see his life. Here's a man that was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned. People wanted to kill him. And here's a man that rejoiced and trusted the Lord. What an amazing testimony. Paul says, for me to life is Christ and to die is gain. What a testimony. He says, I count all things rubbish that I may gain Christ. Let's turn to Philippians 1.12 as we listen to Paul here. Philippians 1.12. And here's a man that used to kill Christians at one time before he got saved. He murdered Christians. Philippians 1.12. As I close here. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment, the cause of Christ, has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Garden to everyone. It's amazing. And then as we went down further, it says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There was a story one time during this was a time of Napoleon's armies and, and battles. A man by the name of George Muller, one of Napoleon's general, suddenly, suddenly appeared with 18,000 soldiers before an Austrian town who had no means to defend themselves. All of a sudden, these 18,000 soldiers surround this town and they have no means to protect themselves. What did this town do? They got together at the church and they prayed. The dean of the church reminded them that we need to pray about this, being surrounded by these wicked people. So he says, the one thing we need to do is we make sure that we don't, we, we need to be at church today. So they had a church service. They all came to the church and they prayed and held the service. But before they had their church service, they always had a tradition where they would ring the church bells.
to get people in the town to come and come to church. So the dean went up to the top of the church and rang the bells to let people know, you need to come to church today. We need to get together. Well, the soldiers, that, this army that was surrounding the village heard the church bells and concluded that their, the Austrian army had come to the town to, to protect them. Oh, these, these 18,000 soldiers left. And before the camp broke, the bells of the church rang and people praised the Lord for protecting them from these 18,000 soldiers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what we've learned here. A lot of stuff here this morning. But it's important for us to realize, number one, that we all will struggle with anxiety and worship. And, and wor worry, rather. And unfortunately, if we don't deal with that, it can cause depression. But Lord, we, there are, we have a, a great Father, Heavenly Father, who can help us with this, Lord. We don't need to bow down to the worry and anxiety. And yes, we live in a very difficult time. We live in a world where it seems like everything around us is falling apart. But we also know we have a great God. And you are near, as Philippians says. We need to be patient, but you are near. And you tell us in your word, we don't have to be anxious. And Lord, we do need to be men and women of prayer. Lord, we need to make sure that when, there's a, when we see ourselves beginning to worry, that should be a warning sign for us to get our connection with you right, get close to you. And we need to fix our minds on those things that are good, on your truths from your word. And learn to be patient with you, Lord, waiting on you. We know that you're going to judge all of this someday. But until then, we need to be faithful to trust you, Lord. And at the end of the day, the reason we want to do all these things is to bring you glory and honor. We want to be men and women of faith. And we also want to be a witness in this dark world. We don't want to be bound down by our worries and anxieties where we can't be used by you. Lord, help us to be young men and women who would trust you with our lives, no matter what the circumstances are in this world or in our lives, that we can trust you. And you're a good God. And we, at the end of the day, we want to be lights in this world. We don't want to be bound down with our own worry and anxiety where we can't be used by you. So Lord, help us to see the bigger picture here in this world. And we thank you that we know someday you will judge all of this that we, that's going on. And you will bring peace. We look forward to that day. Until then, help us to be faithful, to love and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.